All right, so Romans chapter 6, this is lesson 39, and so we're going to be looking at uh, the sections there starting in chapter 6, verse 15, and so if you want to uh, open your Bibles, that might help you, but uh, scriptures are all there on your paper, but you know the great thing about having a Bible? Is you can make notes or you can make references, you can point to something else or whatever. But I know that's just the way we live today. But so, okay. Romans chapter six. I'm gonna just read this this section. We we read through this uh, partially last week, but I want to read all the way down through the end of this chapter in verse twenty-three. We're not going to go that far, but we are gonna read that far. So here we go. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you, were, if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you are slaves of sin, you are free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin, and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So my title tonight, Whose Slave Will You Be? So uh, we're in the book of Romans. As we continue this series, uh, Paul has been talking uh, in the beginning here, presenting his gospel. But in the last couple of chapters, starting in chapter 5, and then more completely now in chapter 6, he's taking theological truth, spiritual truth, as last week we talked about positional truth, and bringing it into practical terms and showing that what God has done spiritually positionally for us, also has results in this temporal realm or in a practical way in our life. So it's, it's difficult sometimes for Paul to find analogies to bring this truth about. So from the beginning, he's been talking about the law because a lot of the Roman church must have come from Jewish roots. And even those who were not Jewish by race or birth, there were many of them who were proselytes. And proselytes were Gentiles who had committed to the law uh, because they liked the morality of it. They liked the fact that it was free from all that goofy fantasy world of their pagan religions. There were no idols. There were none of those beings that were supposed to be around, there were no curses and all those things that were everybody was afraid of. That people were tired of all of that. And many of those who'd come from pagan worlds as they were being conquered and brought to Rome by the, by the Roman army, many of those, they wanted something other than the endless religion that produced nothing in their life. And they heard through the synagogues, people teaching wisdom, people teaching things that they could really use in their life. There's nothing about mythology that you could use in your life. This was practical. And so the Old Testament 
became for many of these Gentiles intriguing. And so they would come to the synagogues, they would listen, and many of them then finally would commit themselves. And so the synagogues were filled with proselytes, which when Paul or others of the New Testament apostles, uh, those who traveled and ministered, they would first go to the synagogues and they would try to help the Jewish people understand Jesus Christ as Messiah. But it was the proselytes who were like, wow, this is what I've been looking for. And they didn't have all the baggage of Judaism that they had to leave behind. Did you ever have to leave some theological baggage behind because you're learning something new, you know, and it's like, well, that's what I was taught all my life, but you suddenly realize that's not true, and that didn't help me at all, but this is helping me, and so the churches, the synagogues uh, were filled with these people. Well, the more they came and believed Paul's message about the Messiah, the more angry the Jews who didn't accept him as Messiah became. And that's, that's the story you get from Acts chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, on and on. Every place Paul goes, he goes to the synagogue, everything is good for a few hours or days, maybe a few weeks, until it's like there's more Gentiles here than we ever wanted. We don't like this. And they would become jealous and they would have some kind of revolt, throw Paul out, try to stone him, all kinds of things. So this has been Paul's record, and he knows that the same thing has happened in Rome. So when in our early lessons we, we looked at the, the number of people that were there in Rome, there were people with Jewish roots, but there were more people with Gentile roots. There were more people who had no, no uh, understanding of the law. So... In chapters, especially chapters 2, 3, 4, 5, Paul's been using a lot of analogy with the law. But you got a whole group of people who's like, well, the law never really was a big deal for me. You know, I, I, I didn't even know what it was about. You keep talking about the law. I don't know what the law is about. I came, some friends brought me to the synagogue. I heard the message of Jesus the Messiah. I liked what I heard. I got born again. Here I am in the church. You keep talking about the law. I don't know what the law is about. And so there were, certainly were a number of people that are there in the Roman church that Paul now needs to address with a different analogy. And so the Bible's full of metaphors. There's all kinds of different ways that the Bible uses to describe things. And, and some of them, it's like they work against each other. Here, we're going to talk about slaves. But then he's going to talk about being a son. It's like, what? What? I, I, don't, I don't get that. S don't compare the metaphors. Or, as they say in class, don't mix your metaphors. Right? So if one thing is used for this, see it as that and move on. So, you know, we are the bride of Christ. Is that true? Yes. And so the bride is feminine. But we're also the body of Christ, which is masculine. masculine. Sorry, wait a minute. Different things. We're the bride or we the son? Like, am I a child or am I a slave? So those things, so they're all in there, but Paul uses those things, and Paul more than anybody else, uses those to convey a message. What you got to do is get the message that's behind it and move on. Don't get lost in the metaphor. So here he's going to talk about something that in our culture today is despicable, slavery. Well, in many ways, it always was. Because for one person to own someone else, that's, that's, just, that's just wrong from the roots. But people were ingrained with it. And many of the first slaves were simply because you conquered people, you conquered the people, you beat their king, you defeated their army, now all their people are your slaves. And so one of the ways that the Roman army raised money, they would go out, the Roman army would conquer a region, they would conquer the people, they would then capture all the people, ship them back to Rome, 
and sell them so that the Roman government could have more money. Need more money? Go get some more slaves. That's sickening. But it was a reality. And so now Paul's going to use this. Now, our Western European-American culture, uh, these terms slave and slavery are unacceptable. But you go to many other parts of the world, and being a slave or slavery is it's just a common thing because that's the way some of their culture works, and they've always known them that way. So it's not that Paul is, quote, approving of this. He's not somehow uh, signing on to the issue of slavery, but he's using the metaphor. So slavery is a metaphor, not a reality. He wants to use this for a purpose, and it's specifically, specifically for the Gentiles. And they knew this because this is probably how most of them got to Rome, slaves. Some of them were still slaves. Some of them had purchased their freedom. Some of them had been set free by the benevolence of a master. Some of them by the benevolence of the government. And some of them had escaped and were slaves in exile, hiding, trying to stay below cover. Yet they heard this message of the gospel, freedom, freedom, something they had really never understood or appreciated. Many of them were second, third, fourth generation slaves. That's all they'd ever known. They were born in a house as a slave, maybe even sold away from their parents as a slave. It was grotesque. Um, one of the records, early records, about the time of Nero was that there potentially was as much as 50% of the Roman population were slaves, either still or free or in exile. That's, that's incredible when you get half of your population. But Paul's got a lot of these people in his church. And there are a lot of people in the Rome in Rome by that by what I meant by in that church in Rome. And so he's got a right to them too. Talking about the law meant a lot to the Jews. And so chapters three, four, five, there was a lot about the law. Most of the analogies were about the law, bondage to the law, set free from the law, all those things concerning the law. But that's still true. But for the Gentiles, he needed a different metaphor. And so Paul now really grabs a hold of the metaphor of slave and slavery. And so these people he wants to speak to, they know this. And so what Paul wants to say about slavery, they're going to understand. And they're going to understand how he makes this transition. So let's go down to, toward the bottom of your page. The arrogant question and the nature of a slave. So let's look at this. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. Romans 6, verses 15 and 16. What then? Have we heard this, this question before? Yeah, yeah, they, they've been there before. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? And this arrogant, sarcastic, kind of ridiculing, in, in a way trying to shame Paul, it's like, so, if we're under grace, let's just sin more because God's going to cover it. And the more God covers it, the more glory he gets. So let's just go ahead and sin. Is that it? Thank you, Paul. That's just great. But he stops that. By no means. Now, to a certain type of mind, the doctrine of free grace is just anti-everything that's in them. Because 
I want you to notice I, I put down the words free grace because that's the way Paul presents it. It's not just grace. It's free grace. And that phrase, I think, is found over five times in Paul's writing. Free grace. Not, grace is good. Is grace good? Grace is enough, right? His grace is enough. Is free enough? What, what better can you get than free? <laughs> free grace. That means there's nothing that you have done to deserve this, to earn it. It's free in the sense that this is bestowed upon you because someone wanted to. It's just, it's just incredible. But to some people's minds, that's just wrong. If I didn't earn it, I don't want it. I'm a self-made person. Ever talk to somebody that there you are yourself? Everything I've got, I earned. Everything I have, I worked for. Why? So I can bow down and look at you and say, aren't you great and wonderful? Everything I've got is free grace. <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> you got nothing then, huh? You didn't have anything. You didn't have any good, nothing beneficial in your life. So you had to wait for crumbs to fall from the master's table. Now, oh, this is free grace. This is God's decision to give me something. Because he wants to, free. And it's grace because I can't do anything to earn it and there's nothing I can do to lose it. And that doctrine just flies in the face of some people and some of you have met them. One of my commentaries had this little uh, quotation I've got down at the bottom of the page. It says, if forgiveness is as easy and as inevitable as all that, if God's one desire is to forgive, and if his grace is wide enough, go to the next page, to cover every spot and stain, <laughs> why worry about sin? Why not do as we like? It'll all be the same in the end, right? No, it's not. Now, Paul could have just said it, you're an idiot, but he didn't say it that way. <laughs> kind of did, but not exactly. His response, God forbid, do you not know? And Paul doesn't even enter into that a line upon line answer and rebuttal of every question that that person brought up. He just moves on. It's, it's like he's saying... Your answer is too stupid for me to even answer. Or your question is too stupid for me to answer. I'm just going to move on. Anyone who is like that, obviously, you don't understand the gospel. You may have it. You may be saved. But you don't get it. You just don't get it. And I can tell you right now, you can go to YouTube and you can hear these people preach any Sunday, any day, any hour that you want to. And they are arrogant, legalistic about grace, of all things. They preach grace, but they preach it so legalistically that it's not really grace at all. I'll leave names out. <laughs> now, all of this sprang out of his last statement in the former paragraph, which we know is verse 14. And that last statement was simply this, sin will no longer be your master. Why? Because you're not under the law. You're under grace. Sin's not your master. Sin doesn't dominate you because you're under grace. Don't leave out you're not under the law. Don't just say sin's not my master because I'm under grace. That's not the point. Because you're not under the law. Under the law, you would have had to answer to everything. You would have had to pre pre present yourself. Uh, you would have had to own up to. You would have had to measure up to. You would have had to had something to do with. You would have had to clean yourself up, make yourself presentable in order to get something from God. But you're not under the law. Why? We answered that last week. Why aren't you under the law? Because you're dead. You're dead. And dead people are no longer under the law. They can't break speed limits. They can't 
you know, not pay their taxes. They can't, you know, violate this rule or that rule. They're dead. So the reason you're not under law is because you're dead. And realizing that, then you can move into the next statement, you're under grace. And so this under grace has a two-prong response. Number one, you're under grace, you're not under law, you're under grace negatively because you're not under the binding authority of the Mosaic law. Now, again, that's going to mean a lot to people with Jewish roots, and that might mean a lot to those who came into the church as a proselyte. But it doesn't mean a lot to pagans who are just hearing this message off the streets. They've been a slave. They've been under some pagan religion in some foreign part of the world. Now they've come to Rome and they're hearing this gospel and they like what they're hearing. But you say you're not under the Mosaic law. And they say, what is that? Well, guess what? There are some legalistic preachers who would love to meet you and do what? Put you under the law. Acts chapter 15 we read before how there were a group of people that said if you you do not you cannot be saved if you do not obey the law of Moses. So you got to keep the law before you can be saved. So there's some people around that would love to put you under that, but you're not. Because you're dead. That old life is dead. Dead in the sense that it has no power, it has no control. You're not under the Mosaic law which even the Jews could not fulfill. They want to talk about it. I heard of one guy just recently, uh, okay, I'm, just, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna do it. But whatever, he, what he was saying, he was making this big deal about what people are doing today is breaking such and such commandment. I want to ask him, I got some parts of the law I'd like to lead you to and see if you can live by those. I'm not going to mention them here because some of them are quite offensive. But you're not under the law. Thank God. So sin can't dominate me because I'm not under the law. But I'm under grace. And what does that mean? Positively. All right. So there's a negative side, the positive. What's the positive side? You're under a new covenant of grace. You have been risen with Christ. There's a new life in you, a new position that you've come to. That old power that held you in sin is gone. You have a new life. Now, the old body is still here because the body didn't change. How many of you like to say, God, can we rewrite this whole thing so that when we get born again, our body changes too, you know? And can we just go ahead and just do that whole thing, you know? Uh, God knows what he's doing, I guess. So, no, he does. He knows what he's doing, right? Okay. Um, you're under new covenant. John 1.17. Just such a beautiful passage. And you, you can preach a whole, you preach a whole lesson at the theology school on this. The law was given through Moses. Truth. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law came through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Why? Because he opened a new way. The law, all the law could do was put you to death. But what Jesus did is died so that he could give us life. Oh, praise God. So, so what does this have to do? So Paul moves on from that and writes that man's question off. And now he begins to address this, the, the um, impossibility of what that man had just asked him about. That this whole question about uh, are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Paul wants to change the whole concept. And so he changes from talking about the law to talking about slavery. 
And he does it in just the stroke of a pen. Verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Uh, what? How do we get to slavery? Because Paul changed metaphors. He's going to use something different. He's not going to use the law. He's going to talk about slavery. Now, he may talk about the laws of slavery or the laws of this, but he's no longer talking about the law, even though, what? He is. <laughs> because under the law, you were a slave <laughs> to the law. All right, But he wants to move on to talk to people that he wants to draw in. You know, when you're teaching, sometimes you have to move beyond the people who don't want to hear what you're saying to talk to the people that do want to hear what you're saying. And you can get caught up in trying to answer the objectors and lose the people that were wanting to hear something. So that's exactly what Paul does. He changes metaphors, like I said, just with a stroke of a pen, just with one word. Do you not know? that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, so these, actually it's two words, obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Now Paul is going to take this thought and expand it into understanding what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. What God has changed in our life so that we can offer ourselves to him instead of be bound by the law. Or, what did the law do? The law pointed out your sin, and therefore the law killed you, right? Because the wages of sin, which we'll read toward the end of this chapter, is death. So the law says you're a sinner. As a sinner, you have to die. The law does nothing for you. You're a slave to it. But Paul moves on from talking about the law just to talking about slavery. So when we think, and, and here's, uh, here's something that we do, and, and I can see, and, and most commentaries will you know, acknowledge this, that when Paul oftentimes in his letters he talks about, you know, slaves obey your masters, masters, you know, treat your slaves well. A lot of times we want to change that to employees and employers. It's really not quite the same. You know, it's not really the same at all. Though there are some principles. And the principles that you could learn from being a slave to a master, a master over a slave, you can employ those same principles as an employer and employees. But the reality is not the same. A slave was not an employee. The master was not an employer. He was an owner. And most of them, cruel. So, when we think of being employed, I, I think most of you still work. Many of you may be retired. But, you know, when you're employed, you go, you do your job, and then what? You go home. Now, there are some jobs that you have to also be on call or whatever for but for the most part you work a certain hours and then you're done and the rest of your time is yours and you can get your car drive Janet and I got in our car yesterday drove up to a place called Evelyn's Soul Food Cafe if you haven't eaten there you don't know what fried chicken is you've you've not tasted fried chicken you've eaten something else <laughs> But it's up by the airport, out by the old um, museum, by the aerospace museum out there. It's back among the aircraft hangars. You have to look for it. And if you go there and ruin it, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> it is. It's awesome. Just look it up. Evelyn's Soul Food Cafe. And it's only open from 6 to 3. And it's not open on weekends. 
So you're going to go, you're going to want to go. All right, so anyway, what's I got to do with this? Food, man. I am a slave to her fried chicken. All right. But what I was getting at is Jan and I could get in our car and we could drive up there and nobody could tell us we couldn't go. And we left there and we drove around Tulsa a little bit, drove to the west side, came down 75, came back to the house, stopped at Walgreens and did some stuff there. And you know, we were free to do what we wanted to do. I'm an employee of home church. Maybe you're an employee of some other corporation or company, or maybe you're self-employed. And you can do your work, but then you can do your own life. But it's not that way with a slave. The status of slave was absolutely different. As cruel as it could be, as cruel as it ever was in any part of the world, including here in the Americas, in Africa, which there's still incredible slavery there, most of it coming from the Muslim world, owning people. India is full of slaves. And many of the people in China, they're not really workers. They're slaves. It's an incredibly difficult existence because your life is not your own. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, you belong to someone else. You can't do what you want. You can't go where you want. You can't change this to change that. And you don't really have much of an income so that you can do anything to make your life better. Whatever it is when you started, that's what it's going to be no matter how many years you are a slave. It is incredibly horrible existence. And it's shameful that we have done that to people. But in Paul's day, that's just reality. You could walk the streets without walking by a slave market. Everything was slavery. Half the population. Can you imagine that? Half the population. And so these slaves, they had no time which they belong to themselves. Let's look at these words. The first, let's look at the word doulos. They're slaves. And the word doulos, the Greek language, is translated servant. And I know the King James and others have done that for us to soften the impact. It doesn't mean that. Now, a lot of times we like to change it to a bond slave. This is someone who was set free by the master and has bound himself back. Yes, but most of the slaves were not bond slaves. They were oppressed slaves. They were captured slaves. They were cruelly treated slaves. As the people of Israel were when they went to Egypt. As they were times and again, even in their own land, they became slaves to certain groups of the Canaanites. Who They didn't chase off their land, and so the Canaanites came and took over. There's a whole spiritual lesson that fits right in here with what we're talking about. If you don't take control of something within your flesh, it will take control of you. I was talking to Tim just the other night, and he was talking about his past history with alcoholism. And he talked about the fact that, you know, he could go a place, but, you know, you could, he's free from alcohol. He goes in a bar, he's still free from alcohol. You sit down to the counter, you're still free from alcohol. You have the man pour some whiskey in a glass, you're still free from alcohol. But when you pick that glass up, he said that's happened to him one time. Is that right, Tim? He started to pick that glass up, and he began shaking so severely he could not hold it because something on the inside said, this is not you. Would God that we would have that kind of reaction to every sin that tries to control us? The doulos. Literally, the, the Greek idea was one whose will has to do with the will. One whose will is swallowed up in the will of another. You don't belong to you. 
And I want to tell you, my friends, sin wants to say that same thing to you. You don't belong to you. You're going to obey me. I'm going to, I'm going to see it silently. I'm going to whisper it to you. I'm going to make it come to you in a dream. I'm going to have other people mention it in your presence. I'm going to hear, shout it at you. I'm going to put it on billboards. You are going to fall for this sin because I want you. And we all face that kind of temptation. But before we came to Christ, we couldn't do anything about it. It was just there. There are days it left us alone. I mean, I didn't sin 24-7. You know, when I was, before I got born again, you didn't need to know all those things. But anyway, there it is. But the bands that hold you are so strong that you can't break them. There's nothing the slave could do. Even if he escaped his master, you're still a slave. He was just running. And his life was now more in danger than it ever had been. And so no matter what, and you could say, I'm free from this, but you're not free. And there's so many unbelievers in the world, people that we meet, sometimes our own family or people we're with, they think they're free. But they're just escaped slaves of sin. See, I didn't come to hear preaching on sin. Well, you shouldn't read Romans chapter 6. <laughs> it's just what it says. These bands are so only, only death can break them. The only way a slave had to be free was to die. Because once you died... When she died, your slave master had no control. Can I say that again? Once you died, you died in Christ. And your slave master has no power over you. Oh, he's still there. He's still got a loud voice. He's still got advertising and banners and people to come across your path and temptations to throw you away. He's still got those things, but you're dead to his power and his control because you're a new person. But I want you to see the other side of this. He doesn't just say slaves. Paul here attaches a specific Greek word to the word slave. It, it's called obedient slaves. And so attaching this word, it comes from the Greek word to hear, hupakuo, right? Hupakuo. And hupakuo means to put yourself under what someone is saying. To be under the command of another. It's a word that is also used in, in reference to our relationship with God. We should be hupakuo. We should be under the command of his word. If God says it, we do it. So, hupako is not a bad word. To be obedient is not a bad word. It just means that you're putting yourself under the voice of another, under the command, under the words of someone else. Well, that's how I want to live my life before the Lord Jesus. I want to be under his word. Don't you? But there's another voice out there that keeps telling me, hey, you belong to me. No, I don't. I died. Yeah, but I'm still here. <laughs> I'm talking to you. And he still has a voice. To be under the voice of another. And the, the purpose of this verb is it, it, it reveals a willful obedience. An obedient servant is one who is willfully obedient to the word. He's not rebelliously obedient. He's willfully obedient he has put himself under this person's word it's not occasional it's definite and certain they were their masters exclusive possession is that is that is that a sickening word to realize that we are god's exclusive possession that's a glorious freedom 
But to realize that when we were in sin, we were the exclusive possession of someone else. So now Paul makes the application of what he's talking about. You were obedient. You were an obedient slave under the voice of another. Whose voice? What other? Either to sin, which leads to death. Or to righteousness, which we'll come back to in a minute. Either to sin, which leads to death. Willful, obedient slaves to sin. That's the old self. That was that nature of Adam. That was that thing you couldn't do anything about. Remember a little Latin thing. Not able not to sin. That was our condition under Adam. Not able not to sin. There wasn't a thing we could do about it. There wasn't a thing Adam could do about his condition after they took the forbidden fruit after they rebelled against God's command there wasn't a thing they could do about their condition they could listen they could do their best to follow the words of God but there was another voice on the inside and the first story we have is it reared itself up and said kill your brother and for some reason to Cain that sounded like the best solution. Killing your brother. Nobody had ever killed anybody before. He didn't hear it. He didn't watch it on TV. You know, we say, well, it's those video games the kids are watching or it's the movies. No, Cain didn't hear it from anybody before. He just heard it from who? The devil speaking through his flesh and said, you know what you need to do? Just kill him. God accepted his sacrifice, didn't accept yours, kill him. How does that solve the problem? It doesn't. Do you ever watch these kind of criminal programs where the guy just, he does one thing and then does something else and it just keeps, it's like falling down the stairs. It just, it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. It's like, oh, I got a new solution. No, it's just another bad solution. And it just keeps going. And sometimes we found ourselves in that spiral, did we not? Your obedient servants, willful to the old self, the nature of Adam. Before salvation, a person's will was swallowed up in the will of Satan. What he said, what he wanted. Well, I, didn't, I don't remember listening to Satan's voice. I do have a couple experiences in my past where... I felt there was some kind of an entity behind me. I was laying in my bed. I was into drugs and alcohol and all kinds of stuff. And there was something behind me. And the one thing I did not want to do is roll over and see who it was. I was scared out of my mind. So as soon as I felt that he'd gone away, I went to the club and got drunk. <laughs> Honest truth. And it didn't change a thing. Some kind of voice, it's using your flesh, your eyes, your ears, your mouth, <laughs> your senses, your hands, your feet, your heart. The unbeliever serves Satan to the disregard of their own good. To the disregard of their own best interests. That is... Killing your brother Cain, that's not the solution. And God came and told him that. Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Don't let it take you. But he did. And they do these things, they give themselves in because they're compelled. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, bottom of page 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, and you. Who's he talking to? Uh, me. Yeah, say me. Yeah. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
that spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Jeff, that's not a happy verse. Yeah, it is. It is a happy verse. Because I'm not there anymore. I was there. There was a time you were there. Now you're sitting in a class learning the book of Romans. You know, there was a time when you thought, I would never do that. Yet, here you are. What do those people get about going to Bible school? What do they get going to church on a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night? What, what in the world do they get out of that? Let's go do something else. Yeah, but here you are. You were like them, but now you're here. And to me, that's what makes this a happy verse. I'm not there now. I was. I can't even begin to describe you the horrible mess my life was in. But God brought me out. What's the result of living like that? Sin and death. Sorrow. Suffering. Why? It's predetermined. God told Adam, in the day you eat the fruit, dying, you will die. There's going to be a death immediately. There's going to be a progressive death. And then there's going to be an ultimate death. It's predetermined. Oh, man. But not for me. And not for you. Because I changed the predetermined journey. right? The predetermined goal. Top of page three. You're either a slave to sin and death. Or... A slave of obedience. Now, the word slave is not in there, but it is. Right? Whose slaves you are, either to sin, which leads to death, or of obedience. You're a slave of obedience to Christ. Oh, wait a minute. I thought when I got saved, I got out of that slavery thing. It's a metaphor. Go with it. Yes, you're free. Yes, you're a son. Yes, you're a child of God. Yes, you've been recreated in God's image and likeness. Yes, you have his life in you. Yes, you are seated with Christ in heavenly places. But you're still a slave in one context of this. And what is that context? What's a slave? One who has what? No will of his own. So if I'm a slave to sin, I got no will of my own. If I'm a slave to obedience to Christ, I have what? No will of my own. If he says this is right, it's right. Now, if I don't do it, then I'm not what? Obedient. So I can't be obedient if I'm not doing what he said, because I am still a slave. And Paul's not afraid of using that word. He talks about himself as being a slave of Christ. Oh, no, he's a servant. He's changed the word. He's a bond slave. He's, Jesus loves him, and so he gave himself back. No, he's a slave. He has no will of his own. Read Paul. I wanted to go here. I wanted to go there, but God wouldn't let me. I have to do what he wants me to do. People have told me, why don't you go and start a church someplace? Why do you don't do this? You know, that's like some people used to come to me and say, you know, if you started church, I'd, I'd be the first one to be there. And my response is, you'd be the first person I didn't want there. But anyway. <laughs> because, you didn't hear me, right? Because if you're willing to leave this church for that reason, I don't want you in mine. Okay, just moving on from that. <laughs> Willful obedience. You gotta, i got to do what he tells me to do. But some things, have you ever had Jesus tell you something to do? The Spirit tell you something you didn't want to do? But you knew you were supposed to do? 
And when you did it, even though you might not have liked it, there was reward for it. You are a slave to obedience to Christ. How is that? Because we died in him and we're raised to life in him and now we live in him. Paul says in another place, you're not your own. You've been what? What is it? What does it say? Say those words again. Bought with a price. It's a Greek word which means to buy a slave in the market. That's, that's what the word means. To buy a slave in the market. You have been bought with a price. You don't belong to you. Well, I'm a self-made man. You can't be. I just do what I want to do. If you do, you're not being what? An obedient slave. You're still a slave. You can't change. If you're in Christ, you're still a slave. The question is, are you going to be a obedient slave? And, sorry, get my grammar correct. An obedient slave, not a obedient slave. All right. But here's the, here's the point. We're free to choose. Subordination to his words or what? Disobedience. Ooh. Yeah, thank you. Corlane, that's bold of you. Yes, that's what it is. Uh, I don't know. I don't like those words. We're under grace. There is no obedience and disobedience. No, that's concerning how you got saved. There is obedience to the words of Jesus. Why? Because he's your master and you are slave. No, I'm a son. I'm not a slave. You're both. Son is a whole nother category. It's a whole different metaphor with all kinds of different applications. Don't get them confused. One does not discount the other. The believer's identification with the Lord in his death broke the bands that held you as a slave to sin. That's gone. The bands that held you. Now, your bondage is to the Lord. Because you died in Christ, and he didn't just leave you there. You died in Christ, and then when he rose, he brought you with him. Just as much as you were dead in the grave, you are now raised in Christ. You're in Christ. Oh, what does all that mean? That means whatever he wants you to do, you do. The only desire that I should have in my life is a passionate desire to fulfill his purpose. That doesn't mean I can't have things that I like and, you know, buy a car that you like or whatever. It's like I don't have to pray over every little thing. I didn't ask the Lord if we could go to Evelyn's for fried chicken. <laughs> but he gave her the gift of fried chicken. Like nobody I ever knew free chicken. And if she's got that gift, I'm going to honor the gift that God gave her. I don't know where, I don't know what I'm going to go have to eat afterwards, but I wouldn't. Too bad it's closed. But anyway, we'll have to do a field trip. All right, so anyway. Because Christ is my life. I'm not just a person alive. Christ is my life. My life is in him. His life is in me. And so this oneness has been brought to us. So the question is, what am I going to do? Nothing should matter to me but to follow his words in my life. Oh, I care about things. I like Alabama. You don't. You're the problem. <laughs> and the point is, notice what he says, of obedience which leads to righteousness. See, if you are living this life submitted to his words, under his words, hup akuo, obedient to his voice, 
then that is going to lead me to a life of righteousness. Wait a minute, Jeff, you got this all messed up because I'm already righteous in Christ Jesus. Yeah, you are. Inwardly. But I don't know it. I mean, you say it. But didn't change the color of your hair. Didn't put something you printed when some people lost theirs. But uh, it didn't. It didn't put a sign on your forehead. How do how do how does the world know that we're in Christ? Because obedience to His Word leads to a life of righteousness. Doing righteous works, which means things that are equal or up to the standard of God. They're up to God's standard. I'm saying things that are up to his standard. I'm doing things. I'm saying things. I'm involving myself in people's lives in a way that is up to the standard which God has established. I am living righteousness outwardly because it's in me through the new birth. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 22. Ephesians 4, verse 22 says, Now put off the old self. Well, he's already dead. But then why does Paul say put him off? Because you reached into the grave, and you brought him out, and you put on his clothes. What? I wouldn't do that. Yeah, you do. Every time you give yourself into the temptations of the old nature, you give yourself into that, you are bringing that body out of the grave and carrying it around with you. Put off that old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, be renewed in your whole attitude and the way that you're thinking and the way that you're desiring. The spirit of your mind has to do with the very essence of the way that you think, how you make your decisions, what you're going to do with your life. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And when you do that, you will put on the new self. Instead of carrying around that old dead body, you're going to put on a new and living body and here's the point that new living self is created listen to the words after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness yeah you've got righteousness and holiness on the inside of you it's just that you need to get it to the outside of you and that my friends is the work of sanctification which is where paul is going to go now through chapter in chapter 6 and into chapter 7. This is what he's talking about. This life of sanctification that brings out the righteousness and the holiness of who I am inwardly and through putting myself under his words, I will bring that life out from in me and into the world around me. And people will hear me saying things that are up to God's standard. And they'll see me doing things that are up to God's standard. And they'll hear me expressing myself and showing people things that are up to God's standard. And this is God's purpose for us to move from justification to sanctification. So I made you a little chart at the bottom. I thought we'd have time to go through this. We don't. So we'll start with this little chart at the beginning of our next session. You see that there are a comparison here of justification and sanctification. And each one has their own categories. I made them in colors so that you can appreciate them more. So that I can use all the crayons in my 72 color box. And you'll see that that Justification is something that is once and for all, and it's inside. Sanctification is something that is outside, and it is progressive. And so this is what Paul's going to talk about through the end of chapter 6, and then into chapter 7, with his great questions and wrestling, and then comes his answer, which is found in Romans chapter 8. 
So there we are, and we will not get all of that covered in our next session. <laughs> all right? So.